Come into the circle of love and justice. Come into the community of mercy, holiness, and health. Come and you shall know peace and joy. Come, let us worship together. From the words of Israel Zangwill. Good morning, I'm Angela Herrera, the senior minister here at First Unitarian Church. Welcome. I'm so glad to see you this morning and to be with you. I'm here with Associate Minister, the Reverend Bob Lavalley, with lay leader, John Eldridge. Arnie Gullerud is our DJ this morning and technical arts director, Chris Paul is here as well. Jordan, Raymond and Sherry round out our tech team this morning as our volunteer ushers. And we all welcome you to this service. If you're visiting for the first or second time and you feel comfortable, we invite you to put your name and location in the chat so that we can issue a personal welcome to you. Welcome again. Right. Write it on your heart that every day is the best day in the year. The words of Ralph Waldo Emerson. We're about to light our church chalice. Feel free to have your own candle or chalice ready at home, ready to light in a moment when we light ours here at the church. But we first have this announcement. Our Zoom services are made not by mysterious technology, but by our ministers, staff, and some wonderful volunteers. We need more volunteers to keep these services going and growing. We will teach you everything you need to know. Contact our Technical Arts Director, Chris Paul at capaulueabtq.org. May this flame, symbol of transformation since time began, fire our curiosity, strengthen our wills, and sustain our courage as we seek what is good within us and around us. Please join me in welcoming our guest musician this morning, Ayo Oriola. Ayo has appeared in our worship services a number of times and has worked as a tenor soloist and a choir director in UU and Methodist and Lutheran churches in Virginia, Maryland, and New Mexico. One of Ayo's specialties is singing American art songs, in this case, a beautiful arrangement of a traditional spiritual by African-American composer, Harry T. Burley.
We are Unitarian Universalists. We are people of faith with open minds, loving hearts, and helping hands. Love is for everybody. Aracellus Gourmet, such a gem. Let's pause the chat for a few moments for our meditation and prayer. And let's maybe prepare our bodies a little bit. Find a comfortable seat that works for your body today. See if you can feel the connection of the chair with your body, the floor with your feet. Resting your hands someplace comfortable. Let's take a deep inhalation, draw our shoulders up towards our ears. That's where mine live a lot. And exhale, soften our shoulder blades down our back. That felt good. Let's do it one more time. Inhale up. Exhale down. During the holidays, many of you participated in our doves ritual. If you recall, folks wrote their aspirations for the new year on paper doves, which were hung on the holiday tree in the sanctuary. Usually we burn these doves as part of our new year's ritual, but this year we burned them together as we burned them at a, at a gathering of the staff that happened this weekend. We have a video of that ritual. And as you watch the video of the aspirations of the burning doves being released, I invite you to consider your own aspirations for the year and the aspirations of the folks who are here in this Zoom room with you. Let's sit together in sacred silence for two minutes.
community is strengthened when we help each other bear our burdens as well as celebrate our joys. Please use the chat bar to share what is on your heart and to support others as they share what is on their hearts. If you're not able to write in the chat bar, please contact the church office or send an email to caring at uabq.org. The video will prompt us first to share our joys and then later to share our concerns.
all these joys and concerns and the joys and concerns held in our hearts unspoken but no less keenly felt all of these we lift up to the great powers of celebration and healing and renewal known by many names let's pray together we mourn the passing of karen williams earlier this month may her husband rick and all her loved ones find comfort in their memories of her and may light perpetual shine upon her we lift up bruce little as he copes with an illness may he feel the support of this congregation as he recovers we pray for marion ammerman as she recovers from a broken hip may she find comfort and healing quickly As we seek to widen the circle of this religious community, let us pray using the words of Claudio Caveus. O oh, spirit of transformation, use us to embody love in the world. May broken hearts be embraced by our love. May grieving mothers find us willing to share their tears. May lonely elders find our community attentive. May despairing teens feel encouraged by our support. May displaced migrants be welcomed in safety here. May unemployed workers find connections to stable work. O oh, Spirit, empower us to uphold the vulnerable through our prayers and our actions. Enable us to live into our deepest longings for us and for this precious world. And may we all be held in the heart of love. Peace be with you. And also with you, Bob. Our Chalice Choir has been rehearsing on Zoom in the new year in order to keep our singers safe. Though they had hoped to sing in person for worship this winter, they've now created another virtual choir video to share with you, a setting of Draw the Circle Wide by Mark A. Miller, nationally acclaimed African-American composer from the Methodist denomination. Oh, 
reading today is the poem Widening Circles by Rainer Maria Rilke, translated by Joanna Macy. Listen, I live my life in widening circles that reach out across the world. I may not complete this last one, but I give myself to it. I circle around God, around the primordial tower. I've been circling for thousands of years, and I still don't know. Am I a falcon, a storm, or a great song? I love that poem by Rilke and Joanna Macy's gorgeous translation of it. Last week, uh, Bob and I attended the Center Institute in San Diego. This is a gathering of UU ministers and now other religious professionals as well. And it happens every few years. 
It's a gathering that involves workshops and keynotes and worship and lots and lots of informal conversations, basically continuous geeking out about church, right? Bob, did you do some geeking out <laughs> there? I geeked out the entire week with other ministers and, and uh, professional religious leaders. So there's a lot of idea sharing and just reflection on how to be faithful in the world, how to live with integrity in these complex times and lots of reflection on how to lead congregations that are faithful and caring and deep and have integrity in these complex times. One of our keynote speakers this year was the scholar Anthony Pinn, an African-American humanist theologian, meaning he is a specifically, his is a specifically African-American humanist theology, and he is a theologian. Dr. Pinn gave a talk called Touching the World, Thoughts on the Theological Value of Fantasy. And in this keynote talk, Dr. Pin framed imagination and fantasy as theological practices. He defined each one in distinct terms. Dr. Pin said, imagination is something that we do within the confines of existing systems. We imagine what is possible within what is. And he said, fantasy happens outside of existing systems. It is visualizing what would seem impossible, at least within the current setup. So think about that for a second in this definition, imagination, what is possible? Fantasy, visualizing what is impossible, at least what's impossible within the current system. System sounds like such a big, big concept. It's the structures and the things that we take for granted. Each of us have certain structures or patterns in our lives that we've accepted, things that probably seem relatively unchangeable, things like where you live in the world, who is your family or community, how you identify, imagination, what can happen within those structures, that world. Fantasy, another world is possible. When we feel frustrated and held down by the limits of what is imaginable in our lives, it might be time to fantasize, to radically visualize what other world is possible. Certain kinds of liberation simply cannot happen without a radical change. But to believe in and to embrace that kind of change, that takes a real and persistent faith. In organizations, cities, states, and countries, systems are economic systems, they are political systems. Systems are the patterns by which some people are granted power or are able to earn it and others aren't and can't. One of the systems we all inhabit is racial. In the racial contract, the political philosopher Charles Mills explains the ways in which systemic racism is every bit as coherent and organized as the economic and political systems in this country. It's a system in which a relatively small group holds power and conspires consciously and unconsciously to keep most power limited to themselves while excluding others in the outgroup. 
When you look at the pattern, it's clearly happening specifically according to race. Other political philosophers have described a class contract and a gender contract as well, which Mills acknowledges, and he even draws from that work. He describes race, class, and gender as categories under a combined oppression contract. In other words, there are other systemic injustices. They do intersect and, though, you can observe each one operating distinctly. It's in this context that the Unitarian Universalist Association, the denomination of which this church is a member, is doing some bold work for racial justice and inclusion. Some fantastic work, I'd even say, in the sense that fantastic and fantasy share a common Greek root. That root, by the way, is fantasine, to make visible. Now, the denomination has for a long time engaged in some imaginative work, like diversity training. The UUA also supports Black Lives Matter and partners with the Poor People's Campaign. As members of the UUA, we call for immigration and criminal justice reform, and we work on other issues that are inseparably linked with systemic racism. The UUA also states that it, quote, supports leaders intentionally building multiracial, multiethnic, multicultural, Unitarian Universalist congregations and communities centering the experiences of indigenous peoples and people of color. That's a big goal. And importantly, it's one that cannot be achieved within our usual congregational systems. It requires that we make those systems visible and dream outside of them. Otherwise it would be easy for churches to diversify, right? Most churches and most denominations would have already done so if it were so easy. So in 2017 at our annual general assembly, the UUA, our denomination created something called the Commission on Institutional Change. And they did this quote, to conduct an audit of white privilege and the structure of power within Unitarian Universalism and to analyze structural racism and white supremacy culture within the UUA. Now, many people, when they hear the phrase white supremacy culture for the first few times, cringe hard. It sounds like the KKK. What it is, is a descriptive phrase though. It's describing a culture that apparently, if you look at it, if you look at the patterns, apparently, values whiteness above non-whiteness. You know, for example, when you look at the fact that as of 2018, US Congress was 90% white, US governors were 96% white, top military advisors were 100% white. People who decide which TV shows we see, 93% white, which books we read, 90% white, which news is covered, 85% white, you see the pattern of uh, who is influencing what. Teachers, 82% white, full-time college professors, 84% white. It becomes clear that US dominant culture perpetuates whiteness as the norm and leaves others out. It elevates it, makes it supreme. That's what white supremacy culture is about. And when you look at most UU congregations, the numbers are unfortunately similar. So the Commission on Institutional Change has set out to identify the structures that have limited 
what is possible and to help us visualize what seemed impossible. To visualize what shape this faith tradition could take. The commission analyzed data. They interviewed lots of UUs who identifies people of color. The commission named and centered the experiences of BIPOC UUs and it published a report amplifying that collective wisdom. The report is called Widening the Circle of Concern. And that's what I wanna tell you a little bit about this morning. And by the way, you can also read it for free online or buy a bound book version of it if you wish. All you have to do is basically search UUA Widening the Circle in your search engine and it should just come right up. So this report begins by framing its findings in some larger national trends. For example, a trend is that institutional religion, organized religion is on the decline overall. Churches have been shrinking and disappearing for many years around the US. Except for the impact of this pandemic last year, this church has really bucked that trend. We've just been growing and growing, but that does not mean we can ignore it, right? We do so at our peril. The report lifts up the shifting racial demographics of the country too, including the expectation that by the year 2044, less than half of the US population will identify as both non-Hispanic and white, the change. And the report mentions that younger adults today tend to have different expectations than previous generations. They expect organizations to have a certain level of multicultural competency. That's the context that the report lifts up first. And the report calls on our denomination then and on congregations to make some shifts. One is to depend less on our 20th century values of freedom and individual individualism, and to lean more into a liberatory faith, a faith of liberation from oppression, to lean into a kind of liberatory faith that invites each person into the spiritual work of empathy and healing. So not doing away with freedom and individualism as values that we carry forward from the 20th century, but leaning more into a liberatory faith of spiritual work of empathy and healing. It calls for a greater emphasis on covenant, on the relationship that binds us together, because this kind of transformation can only happen in the context of love and covenant. Otherwise, it is just too damn hard. Love and liberation are the theological basis for work on diversity, equity, and inclusion. It calls on congregations and the denomination to explicitly name diversity and anti-racism as commitments that are foundational to our faith. Not special projects or special ju social justice issues, but as foundations of the faith. That's why we are considering the eighth principle this year. It does exactly that. It calls us, the report calls us to loosen the grip of formal structures that make change difficult, right? Institutions are inherently conservative in certain ways and we have to change or loosen some of the formal structures that make change difficult. We have to allow our congregations and our denomination to be more agile, more innovative. The report calls on the association to further invest in training to assist congregations in changing and to hold leaders 
accountable in this work and for leaders to hold congregations also accountable in this work all the way down to the individual level. Again, within a spirit of covenant and love and faith. It also suggests a certification process for congregations that are interested in addressing racial equity and inclusion. This idea of a certification process reminds me of the Welcoming Congregation program that was launched in 1990 to help congregations move at that time from saying that they were welcoming to LGBTQ people to actually being places where LGBTQ people felt welcomed. It was, that was a time when that was a big challenge in front of the denomination. And that welcoming congregation program was such a successful program that these days, as one study participant was quoted as saying in the widening circle report, when a person enters a UU congregation, they can often tell right away that it's queer friendly, but a person does not get that same immediate impression regarding racial and cultural diversity. Finally, the report also acknowledges that congregations that do these things will pay a cost because there will be some folks who do not understand or welcome these changes and those congregations are gonna need extra support. But it's also true, the report lifts up, that congregations that do these things are leading the way into the future. So I've named just a handful of takeaways from the report. Some of the other ones, such as a call for reparations and the meaningful ways congregations can respond to that call, those deserve a sermon of their own. That one particularly deserves a sermon of its own. One thing I love about this report is how much there is to engage at every level, national, regional, congregational, individual. I love how it helps us begin to think beyond our existing norms and structures. And what I know is that this work, while it might seem on the surface to be about one thing, is actually deeply spiritual work and it equips us for the rest of our lives too. Last weekend, our newly elected board of directors began its work for the year with a board retreat. Now, because multiculturalism and inclusion are central to our work for this year and are a major piece of the strategic directions for the next three to five years, the board used most of its retreat time to delve into that work, to establish some shared understandings. And we brought in Julica Herman de la Fuente. We're so lucky she agreed to come. She is a nationally respected UU anti-racism educator. She shared a diagram that I thought was so good for us to keep in mind. And again, is really for every area of our lives. And so I'm gonna try to recreate it for you right now on this piece of paper. She started by drawing a circle. And she said, this circle represents all knowledge. It's all the knowledge that is in the entire universe, all of it. And this represents what you know, or what I know, what any of us might know. Now, this is not to scale because I think that we could probably all agree that the percentage of all the knowledge in the universe that each of us possesses is, would probably be hard to see if I drew it to scale. Yeah. <laughs> but we'll just use this as a, as a uh, representation. 
So this is what we know. And this is what she said, this is what we, we know that we don't know. I mean, all of us are aware of some things we don't know. Like I know, I don't know anything about brain surgery or painting, really. You know, there are lots of things that we don't know. Physics, you can think of the things. I don't know how to play an instrument. I know I don't know that. The rest of this is stuff we don't know. We don't know. There's a whole bunch of things in the universe that you and I have not thought of yet. And so we don't know that we don't know it. When it comes to structures of oppression, people in the dominant group tend to be unaware of a lot of things about those structures. They tend also to be unaware of what the system looks like or how it feels from the vantage point of people in the oppressed group. So doing the work of identifying and dismantling racism often lands white people, for example, over here, which is really, really, really uncomfortable. <laughs> it also, in other works, in other kinds of equity and inclusion work, it can land other identities, other folks of other identities also in this zone. For example, in work of trans inclusion, cisgendered people can land over here. And what's important to know is that it just really is extremely uncomfortable. But when we stay with it, when we stay with it, even when it feels like it's shaking our worldview, that is where incredible growth happens. It's also where we may discover the fantastic, right? The unimaginable, the also possible. Listen, said the poet in today's reading, I live my life in widening circles that reach out across the world. May it be so. We take our offering with these words by Nicole Dixon. When we see that the mind's very nature is to think, to divide, to plan, we can release ourselves from its iron grip of separatism. We can step out of our identification, out of our expectations, our judgments. The mind thinks of the self as separate, the heart knows better. You can make an offering online by clicking the link that we'll put in the chat box. If you prefer not to give online, you can simply mail a check to the church, include if appropriate, change for the future in your message line. Our Change for the Future recipient this month is Encuentro. Encuentro is committed to the belief that quality education should build both individual and community knowledge. And with that knowledge comes individual and community power. Please sing along at home with our guest, Ayo Ariola as he leads the offertory, which is also our closing song, You Got to Do When the Spirit Says Do. Got to do when the spirit says do. Got to do when the spirit says do. When the spirit says do.
generously given is received with gratitude. I want to say thank you on behalf of this church and thank you on behalf of Encuentro. So we're coming towards the end of the service and if you'd like to stay and talk to your fellow congregants just stay through the end of the credits. We'll put you in a breakout room. Whether you stay or not though we have a suggested discussion question for today. The question is what are your ideas for widening the circle at First Unitarian. What are your ideas for widening the circle at First Unitarian? But before we go there, let's do a Pacham greeting. So I invite you to put your screen into gallery, gallery view, so you can see each other's faces, see the faces of your community. Place one hand over your heart, another hand reach towards your screen, sharing the peace. Blessed be. And now as we extinguish our chalices, go in peace, friends, and may love bless you and keep you until we're gathered again. Blessed be. <laughs>